please turn again this afternoon to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they neither sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray. Father, give us grace and desiring hearts to know your, to know you, to know your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've read through Matthew 6, you can, if you're not careful, think that starting in verse 19, verses 19 through 24, Jesus is saying to not enjoy wealth and treasures and riches too much. And then, when you come to verse 25, he goes from talking to people who really like riches to talking to people who are barely scraping by and may not have enough food to eat after they leave his sermon. So he goes immediately from this to, this, to something else and talking to two very different groups and starkly different contract, uh, conditions. But, these are words that are flowing to the same company, and they are all about the same thing. All of this last portion of Matthew 6 is and should be understood in verse 25, excuse me, verse 24, where he says, No man can serve two masters. And the two masters he's talking about here are God, on the one hand, and mammon, or treasure, or wealth. You cannot serve both. He just finished saying, don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you don't have a single and a clear vision, in other words, if the Lord Himself is not your sole goal, if you're not seeking what He will say in verse 33, if you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then 
You are not receiving light as it was intended for you to receive the light and you are walking, as John will say in his epistle, you're walking in darkness. All of these things go together. So he says here in verse 24, continuing with the same thoughts that he has already begun uh, earlier, you can't serve two masters. Now this applies to more than just God and wealth. It applies to God and anything. If there's anything that is distracting you, if there's anything that directs your attention away from your Father to something else, to meditate and think on something else, then you're serving a different master. And for those who are in the kingdom, these are the ones that Jesus is preaching to, those who love the Lord, who love His kingdom, who love the King, then you are called to serve God and not wealth. Now, why does He make such a big deal about this? I think many times we have the idea that everyone in Jesus' day, aside from about aside from about six people, everyone was dirt poor. Nobody had anything. They were all, you know, just it was hand to mouth, meal to meal. You didn't know what. And for many, that was the case. I will grant you that 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 was the way. Many people lived during this time. But it wasn't. In large part, it it, it was not the great majority, at least of those who were Jews at the time. Now, there is historical evidence for that. But I believe there's also textual evidence that, that we can look at. When Jesus is speaking to these people, He tells them not to lay up, in verse 19, treasures on earth where moth and rust do, do corrupt. And as I said this morning, the reference to moth corrupting your treasure is a, re- is a reference to those who would buy expensive clothes to, I mean, that, that's how they would hold their riches. You know, if, if you were very poor, one garment is going to be just as ratty as another one. And so if a moth eats one, then you can go to another one. But these were people who were tempted to pursue wealth for its own sake, just as we can be tempted to pursue wealth for its own sake. At least we can be tempted to think about wealth and how we might accumulate a little bit more. And I'm not saying, because I've not heard any of you in here say, you know, I want to be a multi-billionaire and I'll step on anyone's neck, I'll crack any whip, I'll do anything I have to do to get there. I've not heard anybody say that, thankfully. But it's not just a desire to be rich in the abstract that Jesus is speaking to. Being distracted from the central calling of our lives 
is one of the greatest dangers we face. Now, yes, I know just blatant sin is a danger, okay? But we prepare. We as Christians, we should look out for sin. What we should, you know, no, you don't walk in sin. Don't do this. Don't do that. We know the Ten Commandments, especially the ones that are visible. You know, don't murder. If, you know, we know just because someone insults me, I can't kill him. We understand that. But it's a lot of times a greater danger for us are the distracting sins. Things that would redirect our focus from Christ to something else. It's not that it's always that something else is bad. It's just not nearly as good as the glory of the risen Lord. That can take our mind off following and pursuing the kingdom. So Jesus is warning His followers here to not do that. Even if you don't seek to be a quote-unquote rich person, there are things that everyone wants. You may not say, I want that, but you might say, I would really like to have that. And again, I'm not bad-mouthing having desires for things. Okay? In Deuteronomy, he promises that if you are faithful unto me, I will give you whatever your soul lusts after. That's, That's the word that he used. And it doesn't mean lust in a wicked or a carnal sense. It just means... I will give you the things that you desire. So so it's not a bad thing when we honor God and He blesses us to enjoy His blessings and even to have things that we desire and we're working toward because we desire them. That's not bad. What's bad is when they become the central focus of our lives. So that is what He warns us of in verse 24. Either... You will cling fast to God and you will cast off everything else, whatever your pet idol might be, or you will cling to your idol and at least in your heart not serve your Father. So, What is the answer to that? Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? So Jesus said, don't, and when he says take no thought, we we can understand that better as do not worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Don't always think about what am I going to eat. Now, another reason that I say that this is not just a a group of totally derelict and poor individuals that he's speaking to, he says... 
in verse 32 that all these things about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear, these are things that the Gentiles seek after. Well, if someone is hungry, if someone is starving, if someone has not one speck of clothing, that's not just something that the Gentiles are going to seek after. Everyone desires to eat. We need to eat to live. We desire clothing. Having these things, pursuing these things, is not wrong. And even working hard for these things is not wrong. The problem is when we worry about and think about how am I measuring up with what I have compared to this person or that person or this group has? He says, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? He said, there's more to life than having the nicest food and the best clothes. And for us, we can expand that. There's more to life than having things. We all get enjoyment out of something. They're all things that we like having. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you like having nice cars. Maybe you like having nice books. Maybe you want a nice, I think, really decked out nice house. Clothes. Mentioned this morning, gadgets. There's all kinds of things. There's millions of things that I've not even named that we can want. You know, thankfully, we're not in a position that any of us are begging for food or are begging for clothes. We should be thankful. And Paul said, having food and raiment, let us therefore be content. The problems come when after our needs are met, we start pursuing our wants. And the way that we pursue our wants can get in the way of pursuing the kingdom of God. So he gives examples from nature. Jesus enjoyed using nature as an illustration. He, he does it several places. He likes he, he points to plants. A lot of times he, he talked to the Pharisees about understanding about how they knew the sky and they could read the sky and they could they could read what was going to happen by you know the weather by what was happening in the sky. So so he likes using these illustrations because. Being, in large part, an agrarian people, they, they could understand this. 
to behold the fowls of the year. Look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't reap. They don't store up. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Before we say, see, Jesus is saying don't plan a speck for the future. That's not what he's saying. I have heard people who tried to, you know, they take this passage and summarize it in the words of the Beatles song and just say, just let it be. Alright? Just let it be. Don't worry about it. Whatever happens, happens. Don't don't plan for anything, you know. And that's not what he's saying. But we know from Scripture that the tendency of people, at least at this time, was not to forego preparation. The tendency of people was to over-prepare. Think of the example that Jesus would use in His parable of the rich man. Rich man was building up his stores, and he said, "You know, tomorrow I'm going to build more, but right now I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry." James capitalized on that parable, and he retold it basically. And James said, "Look, don't say tomorrow and, and on such a day I'm going to do this and this and I'm going to store up and, and, and so on because you don't know what's going to happen. Now, neither Jesus nor James are condemning preparation. They are condemning trying to establish stores in a, apart from trusting God. That is the condemnation. If you think that you can prepare enough so that you will not have to trust God with whatever it is you don't want to trust Him in, He will make it clear to you somehow that there's nothing you can do to protect yourself enough from the devourer. We look at a man like Job and see everything that he lost. Do we think that that can't happen to us? Now, rather than than take what I'm saying right now as a good reason to go home and get really depressed and you know just maybe go you know go turn all your lights off and spend the rest of the evening in the dark and just you know thinking terrible thoughts, that's not what I'm saying. Instead, though we should always remember that everything we have is a gift. At times, He blesses us with abundance. And at times, we can lack in what, you know, whatever area it is that we have a desire. We're not lacking in our needs, but we can still lack in whatever it is that we're desiring. He's the one that gives it to us. So we should be like the birds and receive the blessings of God as the blessings of God. All the animals receive their food from God. He says in the Old Testament that 
the lions are fed by God. You say, well, it looks like they hunt. To me, I've seen National Geographic before. Well, that's true. But who's the one that gives them their food? God does. He gives the birds their food and He gives you yours. So because it's God that gives you what you have, rather than worrying, whether rather than thinking about, am I going to have enough of this or that? As Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, eat what you have and drink what you have and be merry. Now that's not a contradiction to what Jesus told that rich man. The rich man was going to eat, drink, and be merry because he trusted in himself. Nobody should do that, but we should enjoy Eat, drink, and be merry because it is the blessing of God. Verse 27, Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Can worrying make you taller? Those of us who are shorter than others might wish that were the case at times. But Jesus' point is hopefully well taken. No, you can't. You can't change anything about yourself by trying to figure it out, by meditating on it. And worry is, in fact, you meditating on your situation, whatever your situation is. And when you meditate on your situation, rather than meditating on on the promises of God, it will show. I'm not again, I'm not saying don't think about you know if you if there's a problem, yes, you try to think about it and you pray about it, but don't analyze it to death, which is a human problem. Thinking if I just can reduce this down enough I can plug in the right mental formula or equation and I can make it work out no you can't verse 28 and why take ye thought for raiment consider the lilies of the field how they toil they toil excuse me how they grow they toil not neither do they spin and yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Rather than be concerned with what I will have. Will I have all that is needed? Will I have all that I want to have? How will what I wear, what will it project about me? Or what will the type of vehicle I drive project about me? Or what will my level of intelligence project about me? All of these things we have to trust God for. Here he's talking about clothes. And he's saying, just look at the fields. Look at how the flowers grow. Are they beautiful? 
Well, of course they are. And if God loves grass that much, if, if, if He will take what is, you know, what grows from the dirt, will He not take His principal creation from the dirt that He has made and grant us all that we need clothes-wise and otherwise? For us to worry about such concerns, for us to worry about the type of food that we have, for us to worry about how we come across in every way, in what we wear, and so on, these are worldly concerns. Take no, therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Jesus is saying, If you become bogged down in worry and concern over your situations, wherever you are, if that consumes you, then you are acting in some sense in a idolatrous manner. You have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life working in you because there's something that is holding you back from displaying and from resting in the God who has given you all things, the God of all creation. We're told to not be like the world. And Jesus is saying in verse 32, He says the same thing. After all these things, the Gentiles seek. In other words, He's not, he's not talking about, you know, the, he's not talking about the Gentiles like they're, you know, semi-good folks. He, he's speaking of them as they are. They're outside the covenant. They are not the people of God's love, at least at this time. He, he's speaking of them in, the, in those terms. They're the people who are pagan. They're heathen. They're outside, and he's saying, don't be like that. Don't love those things. They're the ones that love those particular things. You change your love. Change your focus, your desire, and make it what? The kingdom of God. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Probably every one of us in this room know that verse. So we need to hear. We're told God would supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And Paul wrote that to a church who had been most abundant in their giving to him. They were known as liberal givers. I know we have to be careful how we say this. So I'll say it to you and then qualify what I mean by it. All Christians should be known as liberal Christians in this sense. We should be known as the most giving, the most generous, and the most gracious people around. That is the true definition 
of liberal, and I don't care that people have misused it and turned it into a political term. We need to turn it back into its proper definition. So in the sense of our giving, we should be known as liberal Christians. Not in our morals, but in our gifts. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. We give to the things that honor God. And I'm not, it starts with the church, okay? It starts here. But it doesn't end here. There are ministries all over the place that operate only because God's people give to them. And this is how he intends for his kingdom to operate, by his people giving to causes that honor him. Verse 34, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought, for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Don't borrow trouble when you have enough right now. There could be things that happen to you tomorrow that will be terrible. There could be things that happen to you next week that are terrible. And you might see one or two possible symptoms of that even right now. But it's not going to help for you to go ahead and take that one little clue that you might have of what could happen and then blow it up and say, all right, I've got a cold right now. If this turns into a major throat infection later, and if I don't take care of it like I should, it could eventually turn to throat cancer, and I lose part of my throat, and I'll never sing again. I love singing so much. I don't know what I'd do if I couldn't sing holy, holy, holy anymore. Boy, that would that would be terrible. And then I couldn't talk to my family, and I have to learn sign language, and I have a terrible memory, and I don't know how... You, you you smile. But have you ever done something similar to that? I bet you have. Because I have. Some of you have told me how you have. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Charles Spurgeon said that God gives you enough grace for today to deal with the problems you have today. He does not give you grace today for the problems you will face tomorrow. He gives you what you what you need right now to deal with the situations you're facing right now. But He does not give you the grace to deal with what could happen later on. We need to remember our temptation to worry and to think about what we would like to have, what we don't have, what we could lose 
Jesus is saying, you know how to take care of that? Give it away. Go ahead and let it go now. It's part of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then, He will give to you. He'll give back to you what He sees fit. Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge that we cannot do what You call us to do in Your Word apart from Your grace. And we ask that You would lead us and instruct us and teach us how to put these things into practice. Make us to know the joy of yielding all that we have to You and the joy of knowing that it is better to give than receive. And grant us to be spared from falling into the temptation of worrying about what we have and might lose as well as what we don't have and desire. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.